We could never have imagined this story. From small beginnings to multitudes gathering in worship. Battles and victories, service and sacrifice, born out of courage and conviction. With complete assurance, we have grown from strength to strength, yet carry a holy discontent. For this story is far from over. A family still growing, a people called to reach cities and nations, to bring light to dark places. We have seen him do the impossible. We have known his transforming power. We have so much to celebrate, but the best is yet to come. For our story is written by the greatest author. Thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome. Big welcome to, to everybody who's joining us. Welcome to you guys in Leicester, uh, in good old Cambridge, in London, and uh, anybody at Cafe Church. We're really delighted to be with you. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be sharing with you today uh, part five of this series on the church at Antioch, looking to at our, our 2020 vision. Now, I wonder if any of you are like me enjoying the Winter Olympics. Anybody else? Watching that, great, great fun to watch, you know, people sliding down hills on narrow bits of metal, risking their life down, I think it's called the luge. Um, I don't know how you feel when you watch the Winter Olympics, you know, all that snow, the amazing things that are going on. I have a face that basically says, what on earth are they doing? Or, or even more kind of, why on earth are they doing that? You know, you know, one of the, the competitions, I think it's, it's where they're, they're gone, that little tiny sledge, and they're hurtling down at incredible speeds. I gather they go 90 miles an hour, and it's called the skeleton. I think there might be a hint in that somewhere there. Um, but for me, it's kind of, what on earth are they doing? Why would you risk your life like that? And I do think, too, the BBC needs to check its news that uh, they reported recently that we had a, a haul of medals. I'm not sure three technically <laughs> constitutes a haul, but there you go. Now, as we come today to look at the, the passage uh, in Acts, there are some aspects of the church at Antioch which we're looking at that I think to our, our modern mindset, you might look at it and you might have that same face on. Why on earth are they doing the things they're doing? Um, you, you see, those of you who've been around for the last few weeks, you know we're looking at this church in Antioch, a massive, significant city in the Roman Empire, a church that had been born out of, first of all, persecution in Jerusalem, and then out of revelation of who God is, and then a passion, really, to share Jesus in that city. Now, the passage that we come to today is in Acts chapter 13, and as we read this, there may be bits that with a modern mindset you think, why on earth? Are they doing those things? Here we are, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Starts like this. It says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who became Paul. Now we get to verse 2, and this is it really here. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted, say fasted. The word, by the way, is fast, not fast, just so that you're clear. After they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I think sometimes looking in on this church, or maybe even looking from a church in the 21st century, some people would ask, why on earth would you spend time doing those three things? Worship, prayer, fasting. Why on earth would you give up significant chunks of time to come away and sing? Why would you get on your own or with other people to pray to someone you can't see? And above all else, why on earth would you give up food at any time and do it voluntarily? Now actually, when we look at this church, I think behind it there is a very simple, compelling, powerful reason as to why they did it and why I want to encourage you to do the same today. And it's this. These three things, worship, prayer, and fasting, they discovered... And I think we discover too, they are a means to an end. These are in many ways a means to encountering a God who is good, who loves us, who's real, who's powerful, and who's present. So the God who the Bible says is everywhere present can become real in my here and now, right now. And actually, he's not a difficult God who's come to make your life awkward. He's good, he's kind, and to spend time with him and experience his presence, there is nothing like it. Uh, Augustine, the, the theologian, he wrote this. He said, talking about really reflecting on what Jesus had done, he said, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In other words, what were you and I made for? More than anything else, you were made for a relationship with a God who loves you. A God who wants you to know his purpose and his plan for your life. To find peace and joy. And to live out of intimacy with him. And, and as, as Augustine says here, I think it's true for all of us. We're restless until we find that. I, I know for me, before uh, Jesus found me, that, that there was like a hole in the middle of my life that I kept filling with other things. With football, <laughs> Leeds United, which kind of, you know, was never going to fill that gap. Uh, <laughs> And money and other things. And those things temporarily satisfied, but never for long. There was a restlessness. And that's what they found in Antioch. When you meet God, and you meet Him, and He comes into your life, He fills that void. And you discover a sense of purpose. Do you know? You discover why you were made. And then, then some other uh, Christian leaders, they wrote this. They said, the chief end of man. In other words, the purpose of humanity. The chief reason why we're on planet earth is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a phrase. You and I were designed not just to get to know God, but to actually to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy his nearness, to enjoy his power, to enjoy his goodness, to know that we are loved unconditionally and passionately. Why? Why? Why were the people at Antioch, why were they so committed to worship, to prayer and fasting? Because they'd realized these were ways in which you can come to enjoy God. Now, I, I, I don't know where you're at today. You may, this may be your first time in church or your first time listening to a message. My, my hope today is that you will start to open your life up to this God who wants to know you. And for those of us who've been Christ followers a long time, my prayer for you today is as you listen that you'll experience God coming near 
and that you will then out of you will become a desire for worship, a desire for prayer, and even a desire for fasting because there's such a longing for his presence. So here we go. I want you, just, just as the church in Antioch had three ways in which they positioned themselves to enjoy God, I want to look at those three together. So number one, let's enjoy God, number one, through worship. Now when you look at these verses, if you've been to the church at Antioch, you would have seen something clearly noticeable about their worship. When Luke, who's the writer of Orthodox, when, when he describes their worship, he uses an unusual word. It says in verse 2, he says, they were ministering to the Lord, okay? He doesn't use the word worship, although some translations do use that. Now, what does the word ministering mean? Well, it's really taking us back to priests in the Old Testament, whose very job description was to spend their lives bringing sacrifices to God. A people specially selected to enjoy the presence of God on a regular basis. And whose very existence was about coming to bring to God what he deserves. Really, what, what is Luke saying here when he describes the worship at Antioch? He's saying, as you look at these people and they come to worship, as they come to a public gathering, their desire is to bless God. Their desire is to please God. They're coming with a sense of, gosh, when I come to worship, I can bless God. Now, isn't that amazing? That you and I, when we sing, when we worship together, you are not just singing songs. You are actually putting a smile on the face of God. Isn't that incredible that you and I, we can bless the one who loves us and the one who made us. We can be people who seek to honor and bless the king. Isn't that amazing? I, I don't know if that, when you come on a Sunday or you, you're in, maybe in a time of worship on your own, if that's kind of what your heart is, but that sense of God, I'm coming first with my focus on you, not on me. I come to give to you not primarily to get from you. I come to give you a sacrifice of worship and praise. And it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. I want to please you rather than me. Now when you look through the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation, there are almost continually through the Bible calls upon the people of God to say, come, let's give God the kind of praise and worship that he's worthy of. Just listen to this in Psalm 95. This is what the psalmist says. He says, come on, let's shout praises to God. Let's raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best. He's the high king over all the gods. In one hand, he holds deep caverns and caves. In the other hand, he grasps the high mountains. He made the ocean. He owns it. His hands sculpted the earth. So come on, let's worship. Let's bow down before him. On your knees before God who made us. Oh yes, he's our God and we are the people that he pastures. We are the flock that he feeds. Now, some of you may be thinking as you, you listen to me, thinking, what's that got to do with enjoying God? Well, how do you connect the two together? You know, am, am I saying to you, you just have to grit your teeth and lift your hands and sing? No, no, it's not that at all. It's the opposite. It's actually when we fix our attention on God, he comes close to us. But listen to what James says, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, come close 
to God. That's what we're doing when we get our attention on Him. Come close to God and God will come close to you. How amazing. Do you know, when we are singing, when we're worshiping God, God comes near. A remarkable thing happens. The God who is everywhere present becomes real in the here and now. The God who declares himself to be a God of love becomes the one who's nearby and you experience his love. The God who's full of power draws near and your burdens can be lifted. Anxieties can be dropped. Chains can be broken because the King of Kings has drawn near. When we consciously do that, we get to taste and see, as the psalmist says, the Lord is good. You know, the psalmist says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In other words, he's a happy God. Come and share his happiness. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. What does that mean? It means the deepest part of my being can find its satisfaction. That longing for significance, that longing for self-worth, that longing for security finds its presence in the presence of God. Now, I wonder if you've noticed that there is actually generally a truth in life that when you see something amazing, you want to praise it and you want to tell other people about it. And actually, the very act of praising it and telling other people completes the process. You know, very occasionally in our house, there's a sign and wonder that takes place where I put up a shelf and it's still there a few minutes later. And what I want to do is I'm like, Zia, come, come quickly. Look at that shelf. You can put things on it. It's almost level. And there's something about, I want to tell you, it's amazing. Come and see. You know, I, I am a football fan. I'm a Leeds United fan. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, somebody over there. Um, you know, and sometimes for those of us who support teams that don't have multi-billionaires behind them, uh, and they're not always top of particular leagues or even in lower leagues, we tend to go through more dips than we do highs. So actually supporting that team is a bit of a challenge. Now, I'm passionate about my team and I, I love to go and support them. But I can remember times when I've been to away matches to watch my team playing and occasionally, very occasionally, they score a goal. Now, what do you want to do when you see success like this? Uh, come on, you want to... But I can't because I don't want to get beaten up. <laughs> by those people who are around me. You know, I want to go to my friend. Did you see the way he curled that ball into Man City's top right-hand corner? <laughs> Who's winning now? But you can't. The actual not being able to do that is agony. Why? Because there's something about that that completes the process. There's a pleasure in it, is there not? Well, that's what worship is about. There is a completing of our pleasure and delight in God. There's an increasing of it. That the more we worship him, the more we get our eyes off ourselves and onto him, the more we honor and bless him, the more we experience pleasure, the more joy there is in knowing him. You know, and I, I want to encourage us, when you come together Sunday by Sunday or in, in other places, just stop before you get into the meeting or as the meeting starts and just remind yourself of what you're coming to do. I often say to myself, Simon, you're coming here. God is here. Give him your best worship today. Get your eyes on him and bless him. You know, I often think, what would happen? What would heaven think if the sound system in heaven stopped working? Can you imagine that? If suddenly 
All, everybody in heaven's watching what's going on. The sound system goes off. There's panic behind the scenes in heaven. And I know there's never panic in heaven, I'm aware. But just imagine there was. And they're going, what are those people doing in that room there? And they look to us in the way in which we're worshipping. I, I, I've often said, God, I, I want, if you're looking at me like that and you can't hear me, I want you to know that I want to honour you. I want to be passionate about you. I want my words to bring pleasure to you. Let's be a people, Kingsgate, who are passionate about the presence of God and who by our, the very passion of our worship, we draw down the goodness and the power and the presence of God. You know, if you want to enjoy God more, worship Him more. Worship Him with greater levels of intensity of passion and honor for Him. Okay, so first, let's enjoy God in worship. But second, let's enjoy God, secondly, through prayer. Okay, if we go back to uh, this church in Antioch, you'll remember that as they're worshiping, there's a sense of God comes near, they hear him speak in some way, probably not audibly, maybe through one of the prophets or somebody there came and shared a word, but they, they hear God speak, and the word that God gives them is a really challenging word. He's basically saying to them, take two of your best leaders and send them out to a place where it's going to be challenging and difficult. Now, what, what I love here is when you look at the church at Antioch, what is their first response rather than their last resort? Their first response is prayer. Acts 13 verse 3, it says, After they had fast and fasted and prayed, then they sent them out. Now, what you get here then is a sense from this church that prayer is so important that when we face a situation of challenge or difficulty, we're going to pray. We're going to get around the people of need and we're going to call down God's blessing upon them. Now, the word here that Luke uses for prayer is similar to our word supplication. So, so what is prayer? Prayer is an invitation for people like you and me to come before an infinite, omnipresent, always loving God whose resources are never extended and to ask him for the needs, either our needs or the needs of people around us. Don't you agree? That's an incredible privilege and invitation. That's what prayer's about. You can, you can see these guys at Antioch. They're, they're getting around Paul and Barnabas. They say, we know you're going off somewhere. It's going to be a challenge. So we're going to pray. They're praying blessing. They're praying protection. They're praying provision on this couple. Now, now let me ask you, do any of you have any needs right now? Do you know anybody who's got some needs? Well, that's what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation. Bring those needs before God. Listen, listen, wonderful, wonderful promise from Jesus, which Dallas Willard would say, this is the basic language of the kingdom of heaven. He says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, here's what I'm saying. Ask and you'll get. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse, hide and seek game we're in. What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's really straightforward. Ask. Say ask. Oh, come on. It's ask, not ask. How many more times? Okay. Ask. <laughs> 20%. And you will receive. Now, this is the basic law of the kingdom. We have a heavenly father who's good, which Jesus is unpacking here. And he's saying, you don't need to manipulate God. You don't need to pretend. Bring your needs to him and be expecting that as you ask, 
so you will receive. Yeah, just recently, I, um, I was so encouraged on, on Friday this last week. There's a, a couple I know well, and a few of us have been praying for them. They've just moved to another city, and both of them need work, and they need somewhere to live. How many degree that's a bit of a need? Well, we, we prayed. Within the space of one week, and I got a, a text a couple of days ago, within the space of a week, the text said, one of them's got a job, the other one's got an interview, and they've found somewhere to live. Not bad for a week, is it? Would you agree? Not bad for a week. And it's not about how amazing our prayers are. It's about how amazing God is. The God who is everywhere present wants to respond to our requests. Now, do I see every prayer that I've ever prayed answered in the way I'd like it? No. In fact, I've got quite a few prayers that are in the I don't get it box. I don't understand why there are some things God answers and some he doesn't, doesn't seem to respond to. I don't understand all of that. But there is something I have learned over time. The more I ask, the more I receive. The less I ask, the less I receive. Come, this is not difficult maths. Okay? So what's the encouragement? The encouragement is ask and keep asking. We have a good father who wants to do amazing things. Now, as a, as a member of staff here and a pastor, I, I am someone who gets to see amazing answers that God does to prayer uh, nearly every week in this church. And I want to share with you one on, on a, a vision, on a VT here, that I believe is going to really encourage you as to how amazing God is. So, let's watch this. Hi, my name is Sami. Uh, two years ago, I was fit and healthy, and I remember my wife and I going to visit a friend of ours, and whilst we were there, I was offered some food, and the food just did not settle with me at all. I remember my tummy rumbling and my head going on fire, and it was at that point that I passed out. Following on from that, I slipped into a coma, and as it so happened, I had developed a brain hemorrhage and my wife and children were advised that I may not survive and if I survive, I was never going to be able to walk again. During that time, my wife and children were extremely supported by the church and by our life repertoire. People praying excessively for me, believing God for the very best and nothing but the best. Five months after, uh, I suddenly woke up and when I woke up into reality, I thought I was in a foreign land. I had no idea what had happened to me, but it was at that point that my recovery began. Over the weeks and months that followed, we just saw miracles upon miracles upon miracles. Everything that the doctor said that I could not do, I was now able to do with ease. There's no doubt in my mind that this is the hand of God in my life. One thing I can share with you is that prayer does work, so keep praying. Isn't that wonderful? Amazing. And for me, you know, that does two things. The first thing it does, it says, I want to get to know this God who can do things like that, who is so loving, so kind that he wants to intervene in my life and the life of people around me. But I also tell you, the other thing it does for me, it says, God, help me grow in prayer so that we as a church can see more summits, more breakthroughs, more people healed, more people set free, 
more bondages broken, more breakthrough in people's lives. Anybody else? It's kind of, we have a God who's good. We have a God who's able. Now, I don't know where you're at. As we look in the next couple of years at 2020 vision, I actually believe prayer is absolutely critical. If we're going to fulfill everything that God wants us to do, we need to be a people of prayer. A people who, who don't just commit occasionally, but we're, Lord, we're in this. We're enjoying your presence. We're enjoying that relationship with you. But we're also expectant that you're going to continue to do great things amongst us. I want to ask you, how can you deepen and strengthen your prayer life? You know, maybe you're new and you've, you've never prayed at all in your life and it's all new to you. I'd encourage you to start small. Set aside a few minutes each day and imagine God is in front of you, sat on a chair. You can just spend a few minutes talking to him and see what comes out of it. But also, if you knew, I came across a great app recently called Try Praying. That's for people who are new to prayer. Have a go at that. What about the rest of us? Some of you have been praying for decades. We're so grateful for what you do. But how can you deepen and strengthen your prayer life? Is it get hold of a prayer shield? Join the prayer army? Get to the pre-service prayer meetings? Wouldn't it be great? We have fabulous pre-service prayer meetings. Wouldn't it be great, though, to see them so full you can't get in? Oh, I nearly had an amen there. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? Let's enjoy God. Let's enjoy Him in worship. Let's enjoy Him in prayer. And then thirdly, let's enjoy Him through fasting. Say fasting. Come on. Now, I think maybe to our modern minds, this is maybe the bit that's the most kind of wow. Here is a group of people who are voluntarily giving up food and drink. Why? So they can meet with God. That's what fasting is about. It's a choice to give up one thing in order to get a better one. Let me remind you what fasting is not. Fasting is not about manip trying to manipulate an unreasonable God who doesn't want to give us good things. It's not that at all. It's about positioning ourselves to encounter God in new ways and to see Him do new things in and through our lives. You know, when we look at the church in Antioch, what we see is that fasting was a normal part of their lives. It was just kind of part of what they did as one of their ways of seeking to enjoy the goodness of God. Look again at verses 2 to 3, and you can see uh, Luke uses the phrase, while they were worshiping fasting, almost like this is just normal. You know, and we've sought to make as a church fasting just an, a normal part of what we do, just the kind of thing that we, we, we do as a church. But actually, if you look at those verses, what you see is here is Luke is tying fasting in one, one case to worship, in the other case to prayer. Now, fasting does have a value on its own to a degree. It will bless you physically. It will do something to your soul. But actually, fasting is primarily meant to be something that we add to other spiritual delights in order to kind of add an intensity to it. You know, I, I don't know about you, when I was a young man, I always wanted a turbocharger on my larder car. So it could, it could actually reach 30. Um, you, you know what a turbo does? A turbo takes what's already existing and makes it faster, <laughs> makes it speedy. Well, that's a bit what fasting is like. It's like you add it to worship, it goes to another level. You add it to prayer, it goes to another level. And then I think there's a sense here that, that Luke is saying, notice this, that this church, they were intensifying their fasting, sorry, their prayer and their worship by fasting. Now, if you think about prayer for a moment, okay, in the next three days here in Peterborough, 
heading into a three-day fast. And I'm sure you will be spending time in prayer. And I think when we fast, there's like there's an intensity that comes with prayer, with fasting. You know, I, I would say to you, please don't just go hungry for that time. Make sure that you set aside time for prayer. Maybe have a focus. Say, I'm going to pray for this situation or that person. But here's a great promise for you. Listen to this in James. I love this. one of my favorite promises on prayer. James says this. He says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man and let's say righteous woman as well. That's fasting. It's like it's earnest. It's heartfelt. It's continued. What does it do? It makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. Come on, how many of you have got a situation that could do with a release of tremendous power? Well, what's, what's James saying? He's saying it's available. It's available. And what releases that tremendous power, dynamic in its working, is intensified prayer. You know, I, I mean, maybe some of you are facing a situation like Sammy, an apparently impossible situation. There's something about fasting with prayer that brings a breakthrough where we can't seem to get a breakthrough elsewhere. You know, I'm really expectant that by the end of this three-day fast in Peterborough, the fasts in the other cities when we're doing them, we're going to hear stories of breakthrough, of healings, of chains being broken and finance being released and jobs being released to people because God is in the business of answering prayer. But you see there too that, that um, Luke writes about how Antioch, that there was fasting with worship. Now, when we're fasting, we're seeking to do a number of things. And one of them is to set aside more time for prayer, but also more time to spend with God. To actually, as we've said elsewhere, to feast on God. Now, come on, be honest with me. How many of you like eating? Come on, all of you do. If there's not, we, we can pray for you afterwards. Okay, it's normal thing. To, I love food. Food is good. And you know, it's a right thing that you should like food. That's the way God designed and made each one of us. So, so what are we doing when we're fasting? We're effectively saying, for, for a, a designated period of time, we're saying, God, during that time, I'm setting aside a good thing, a good hunger and desire, because I've got a deeper longing for things that are even more important to me than food and sometimes drink, that actually I want to feast on you because only you can fill that hole in the depth of my being. Only you can bring actual satisfaction to my soul. You know, I, I, I find over the years I've learned if we've been fasting quite a lot over the last 18 years or so, that it seems to me that my senses, other senses get heightened. Anyone else? Pizza looks pizzier. And chocolate, chocolatier, and sugar, sugarier, and all that kind of thing. Bread. You can smell bread at about a mile away. And I, I find myself, you're faced with a choice. And over time, I've kind of, I've learned to say, Father, if I'm honest, I'd really like that slice of bread now in toast with butter on it. I'd love that. I really would. <laughs> but I'm choosing right now to come to you because I actually want you more than I want that toast. I want your presence more in my life. And I'm actually hungry for you more than I am for that. Now, I want to tell you, when you make that kind of thing a consistent thing, it does something to your soul 
And it increases your desire for God. You realize he really is the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And you can have the toast when the fast is finished. You can have both. In the psalmists in the Old Testament, they often lean into this sense of hunger for God. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 63. And it may be that you, maybe this week as you're fasting, uh, if you've given up time, don't, don't just ask God for things. Do do that. But also take time to feast on Him. You can make these words your words. You know, even as I'm reading this, you might want to echo these words in your heart and make them from you to Him. That's what the psalmist says. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly, okay, there's the fasting. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there's no water, I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you, I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. And you satisfy me. Here it is. This is what we're looking for. The satisfaction. This is what I want to say to us. Be hungry for the satisfaction of the deepest place of your soul. Don't settle only for being physically hungry. Settle for that satisfaction. He says, you satisfy me with the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I want to encourage you. These next three days, as you head in, or whenever you're fasting, take time to enjoy the goodness of our God, to go deeper with Him, to enjoy His presence. You know, and expect Him to speak. You know, there is something interesting about fasting. I believe God is speaking to us most of the time. But there are difficulties. It's kind of hard to hear what He's saying because I think often, our, certainly this, maybe this is just me, but it's like my... I'm, I'm so, my spiritual ears are clogged with what other people are saying, what's going on in my life, with anxieties about this. And somehow when you fast, it's like all that wax gets cleared away. See, it was while they were worshiping and fasting that God spoke to them a, a word that changed not only Paul and Barnabas' life, it actually changed the life of the church. In many ways, you could say it was a historical word that led to people like you and me being able to hear about Jesus. It was a significant word. Be expectant as you worship, as you fast, God will speak and you'll hear him. And sometimes those words will be absolutely life-changing. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you what to do. He'll encourage you. He'll strengthen you. I'm really expectant in these next three days. You're going to hear from the Father who loves you and has really good things for you. Let me ask you guys, how can... So bring, start to bring this message to a close. How can you deepen your feasting on the Lord by fasting? For some of you, you've been doing this for years. And God is calling you to a new measure of fasting. I can remember the year when God said to me in January, we used to do one, one, one day and three days every other month. He said, I want you to do three days and five days. <laughs> and my flesh went, I'm sure I didn't quite hear that. <laughs> but it was a fabulous year. I want to tell you, as I sought to be obedient to the Lord, he did something new on the inside in terms of my relationship with him. Some of you, God will call you to new levels of fasting. Respond to that invitation. See it as an invitation into new measures of enjoying God, experiencing his presence, and knowing more of his power. As I land this message, I kind of, for people, particularly in Peterborough, I almost feel like I want to, if I could play the trumpet, 
Okay, I'd want to blow a trumpet and say, guys, you're coming into a three-day prayer and fasting season. And I want to say, make the most of these next three days. Why not, why not make today a day when you almost go, right, this is the starting point. Start fasting on Monday. But this is the starting point. I'm going to be ready for what God wants to do. And I want to say to, to many of us, some of you have stepped back from prayer and fasting. Step up again. Some of you have reached a level. Ask God to take you to a deeper level. Some of you have never fasted. Have a go. Miss a meal. See what God does. If you're medically able to, you won't die. God will do good things. It's got really quiet in this room. Make the most. And I almost want to say to us, Kingsgate Peterborough, Kingsgate Cambridge and London and Leicester, don't miss out on what God wants to do. Make this priority. Cancel other things if you need to. Let's fill those prayer meetings with people who are coming to be earnest, heartfelt prayers, expectant for God to speak and expectant above all else for fresh encounters with him and to see a new release of his power in our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are so good and you are the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Father, I want to pray over everybody. Father, that you would clear away from us any religious thinking, any places where we've seen worship and prayer and fasting as anything other than a way of meeting with you. I pray you'd clear that away. And I pray you'd put within us, Father, such a passion for your presence and your power that we will run to worship, we'll run to prayer, and we'll run to fasting. In the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree with that, would you say aloud, Amen.